Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your Premier League podcast from the Sport Social team. Yesterday we saw deadline day drama at Manchester City, Chelsea, Spurs, Manchester United and others. But tumbleweeds on Merseyside as both Everton and Liverpool make no new additions on the final day of the January transfer window. More money was spent by Premier League clubs than any other January. Chelsea spent more money this window than all clubs combined did in last year's window. So many deals to unpick on today's show. Cancelo Chaos, the Sabitzer Solution, Expensive Enzo, we'll do it all today on FSD. My name's Niall and joining me in the studio this morning, Joel and Marley. How are you doing, lads? Well, go ahead, I'll let the Newcastle fan go first because he's jumped in with a bloody fucking Duracell battery in his back this morning. <laughs> first time I've seen that from a Newcastle fan Wembley. in a long time. And a Steven Taylor shirt he's wearing in the studio Big as well. Big time. <laughs> Oh, I'd love Steven Taylor to come back and, and get, a, get a place on the bench in the final. That'd be great. But yeah, finally, Wembley. I mean, first uh, time in first time since it's been open. Never been to the new Wembley, except when Spurs played there. So yeah, happy days. I was going to ask if either of you two stayed up late last night to take in the deadline day deals. But I know that you did, Marley, taking in all of the celebrations of Newcastle United getting to the Carabao Cup final at Wembley, which will be on the 26th of February. But before we get on to that, today's episode is brought to you in partnership with NordVPN. And of course, as it was transfer deadline day yesterday, no doubt loads of people were searching online for clips of the players that their club was linked with. I'm wondering if you either of you saw the video of the new striker Southampton have signed by any chance <laughs> well the, the tiny one <laughs> <laughs> the, the six Big foot pole. eight giant that wouldn't look out of place in the Royal Rumble <laughs> um, and the video of him scoring well maybe the worst hat trick if it can be described as that that, that you've ever seen Yeah. Um, but you have to agree that there's nothing more annoying that when you go to watch some football highlights on YouTube or wherever it is of the potential new signing that your club could be bringing in and it comes up with this video is not available in your location. 
So annoying. How are you meant to get an idea of how any new signings will do if you can't even watch the highlights? Well, thankfully, NordVPN can help with that. If you head to nordvpn.com forward slash FSD, you'll find a huge discount on your plan, including four months for free. And it's risk free as well with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. So what you can do is you can change your location by using a different VPN, maybe set your location to America, for example. Just to remind you, that website again, nordvpn.com forward slash FSD. And I mean, it is a massive discount that we're giving you here by virtue of being an FSD listener. Four months for free and a 30 day money back guarantee with NordVPN as well if you don't like what you see. So thanks to NordVPN for hooking us up this episode of the podcast and We also need to discuss that Matt Jarvis, the former Wolves and West Ham winger, will be on the podcast tomorrow. He's supposed to be on today, but we just had to react to transfer deadline day yesterday. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss our episode with Jarvo. He had some really interesting things to say. Here's a little teaser of what Matt discussed with us. I was actually going away on a boy's holiday. Bags were packed. I was just about to get in the taxi to go to the airport and I got a call from my agent to say that um, Mick McCarthy wanted to meet me in Portugal. I then flew to Portugal, met Mick McCarthy, had a really good discussion about why he wanted me to come to, to Wolves, what he was trying to achieve and, and if I had obviously any questions and had a really good chat with him. Um, and then I basically flew back, went straight up to, to Molyneux. I signed my contract with the club secretary uh, at the time. And then I shared a lift with him and his wife to the airport. We all got on the same flight to Marbella. <laughs> I went one way and he went the other and I met my mates in Marbella. It was just incredible, incredible few days. Um, but the best decision, Mick McCarthy, as soon as I met him, there was nowhere else I was going to go. Football Social Daily. So Matt Jarvis, formerly of Wolves and West Ham, and of course, played that one game for England, which means so much to him. He'll be featured on tomorrow's episode of Football Social Daily. So as I say, hit that subscribe button and you will not miss it. But getting Marley's excitement out of the way, because he's bouncing off the walls here. <laughs> he's just darted me a look. Like, we? Are we going to talk about Newcastle? Th- you, said, you said we weren't. Well, was, well, we are. Was, we are. We are. Human. I was just teasing you. I was teasing you. We are going to talk about Newcastle. Because you've reached the Carabao Cup final, Marley. It's we the have. first time in 23 years that you've reached a Wembley final. Mm-hmm. It's the first time at the new Wembley for a cup final. So achievements there for Eddie Howe and Newcastle United. They beat Southampton 2-1 in the second leg of the semi-final last night. Well-deserved, I think. Yeah, well, I think well-deserved, yeah. Um, we were comfortably the better team. I thought you know, the atmosphere before the game was, was incredible. Um Managed. To, I was watching the first half and then I uh, had to go to uh, football um, to play football. But I watched the first half and the build up to the game. I normally, normally miss the get miss the build up to most games, but um, had to watch that because the the stadium was just bouncing and you feel like um, as an away player and as an away fan, it, it'd be so intimidating and so um, what's the word like over? You're just overstimulated. You can't you can't get a foot in the game and it's no surprise that Newcastle like flew out the blocks. Um, I think Southampton were all over the place at the back. Um, couldn't string a pass together. They were trying to build out from the back and pass it out from the back where their tactics were all all over the place, all wrong. I thought that they had a right back making his debut. You're making your debut in a must-win semi-final. You know, in a, in a league you've never played in against one of the most informed teams in the country. Like, that's... James Bree is never gonna survive that. That's a you talk about um, 
um, a sort of baptism, baptism of fire. fire. Christ, yeah. that's risky from Nathan Jones, but I guess you know it's it risk versus ridiculous. reward, isn't it's it? Ridiculous because... from him. Like what? How many? If how many players could you have done that? Given that to like how, how many would like rise to the challenge? Like maybe one in every fifty players might have a good game on his debut, but he had to deal with Joe Linton and Willock on the left, and they they just picked him apart, and we scored both our goals from. Well, one goal from the left-hand side, one goal from the right. Sean Longstaff um, and Dan Byrne have scored the goals, which is really fitting because two Geordies have scored to get Newcastle to Wembley for the first time uh, since 2000, I think. Brilliant. That was the old Wembley as well, so obviously never been to the new one, so we're going to have to get our uh, sat-navs out. Yeah, I think Southampton were no real match for Newcastle really over the two legs. Scoreline reflects that. Newcastle will be walking down Wembley Way at the end of February. Will Manchester United be joining them? Yeah, probably. The second leg of their semi-final against Nottingham Forest is tonight at Old Trafford. United lead Forest by three goals to nil. Barring an utter capitulation from Manchester United and an utter miracle from Nottingham Forest, it will be the anticipated Football Social Daily clash of Joel versus Marley and a Manchester United-Newcastle United final, Joel. A part of me kind of wants Nottingham Forest to do something after the pelters that Marley gets from Forest fans on socials at the moment, <laughs> <laughs> just to see how that would go. Uh, but no, of course, uh, I think it's a pretty done deal, that isn't it? We'll probably play a lot of the youngsters, Palestria, Langer, uh, maybe even Maynu in midfield, just to give all of the more senior players a rest for the weekend game coming up, which is massive. But yeah, I didn't expect it to come so quickly, to be honest. I remember when Jim laid that bet to me, Feels like ages ago. It was only about three weeks ago. I was thinking <laughs> this is going to be so far in the future, like hmm. a, a matchup, and it's coming in two and a half weeks' time. Uh, but yeah, it's you know one big club against one that wants to be oh. should be a good matchup, shouldn't it? I mean, you'll get there one day, mate. <laughs> we already have. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you haven't listened to Football Social Daily before, Joel's right. About three weeks ago, Jim Salverson, who's our resident West Ham fan here at FSD, he placed a bet between these two, um, which was. Manchester United and Newcastle United, who will win a trophy first? And I think, Jim, did he plump for Newcastle? Jim said Newcastle, Joel said Man United. Jim said Newcastle, Joel said Manchester United. They shook on it and whoever loses has to donate 10 quid to charity. I think we'll donate whatever the winnings are anyway to charity, whatever happens. (laughs) But it'll be interesting to see who actually comes out on top in that Wembley final. Of course, this is a strange game, professional football. So Nottingham Forest, they look out of it. Sometimes things happen that you aren't expecting and that certainly was the case yesterday on Transfer Deadline Day. We're going to rattle through some of the biggest deals next on FSD. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily, the day after, the night before. And that night was transfer deadline day. The window closed at 11pm and Premier League sides will now have to make do with the players that they have between now and the end of the season. I'm Niall, Joel and Marley are with me in the studio and we're about to dissect the highest spend in any January transfer window for Premier League teams of all time. More than £275 million was spent just on deadline day alone. The 2018 winter transfer record spend of £430 million by Premier League clubs was already blown clearly out of the water before Tuesday's deadline. The eventual total this year, a 90% increase on the previous record and almost triple the 2022 January transfer spend. Mad, mad numbers. It all started yesterday at about 11 o'clock and by 11.30, the rumours that Joao Cancelo has left Manchester City to go on loan to Bayern Munich with an option to buy or an obligation to buy. I can't remember quite which because it feels like ages ago yeah, already. I think for it's 70 option, million. Yeah. I think it's an option. 70 million euros. I can't see Bayern taking, to be honest. Well, what has gone on there? Let's come to you first, Marley. Joao Cancelo has been one of the better additions that Manchester City have made in the last two or three years. He's been a key part of their success. Now he's gone. What's happened? Yeah, well, it seems like... Um... It seems pretty cut and dry, really, um, that he's, what's the word, sort of upset the apple cart a bit and, you know, he's he's threw his toys out of the pram a little bit and, you know, Pep's went, hang on, we're not standing for that. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you're going to be a bad apple in the group, you, you've got to go and it's... Do you think he's had a bust up with Pep? Do you think that's yeah, what it def- is? Yeah, 100%, yeah. I think there was there was a report, I think, about a week or so ago of um, him being not happy that he didn't start against Arsenal uh, in the FA Cup and... Uh, that that compare that leading on from from what happened, um, it it all makes sense because you know he, he's he's kicked off there and then a week later he's he's gone like completely out of the blue. Uh, Man City are not really in a position to let a, a starting left back particularly go, um, but that just shows how bad it was because that's a complete breakdown of of um, relationship that. He's gone, do you know what? I don't care if you were integral to us winning the title last season. You he was probably the best fullback in the world last season. Um, but if you're gonna act like that, you, there's no place for you at the club. So I think it's probably good management. None of us will know exactly what happened, but you know, I think it's enough to just go, he's been disruptive. And if you've got a disruptive person, you, you get him out of your club and you move on without him. Yeah, Pep Guardiola's got form for this. He's not afraid to turf out the high-profile players. He did something similar at Barcelona with Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who he didn't really get on with. Toure as well. And, yep, Toure. And, you know, if you think about the best managers that have ever, you know, been in the Premier League, Sir Alex Ferguson is one of them. Roy Keane was a massive performer for Manchester United. But when that time had come for him to leave the club, he was... Brutal and ruthless in turfing Roy Keane out of Old Trafford. So, big story that yesterday at 11.30. That was the first one of the day. But we won't go through in chronological order because it was just utter chaos for me trying to keep up everything yesterday. I don't think you can go in chronological order. It's just ridiculous. (laughs) Um, But the big number, 107 million. The British transfer record, which was previously held by a Manchester City player, Jack Grealish, who signed for the club 
from Aston Villa for 100 million. That has now been surpassed as Chelsea have splashed 107 million, as I say, a new British record on Enzo Fernandez, the Benfica midfielder who's just been part of the Argentinian World Cup winning squad. Benfica paid, I think, £8.7 million for him a year ago. They've made about £98 million profit on him. Mad, mad money. Chelsea, we know, has been splashing the cash. We've discussed it on a number of occasions throughout the course of this month on this show. But this is the biggest deal of the lot. What do you make of it, Joel? It's not bad business if you can get it, isn't it? 100 million profit in seven is it, months' is it time. Not, is it not bad business? Or you mean from no, Benfica's it, No, it's just a, sat- a satirical point of view. It's not bad business, is it, from Benfica's point of view. For Chelsea, it's insane for me because I, I always remember Jose Mourinho saying to be very wary of buying players on the back of very good tournaments. Because when you're playing for your country, especially a South American country, the levels of dedication and desire and commitment and focus just goes from what it would be at your club to just tenfold. Unbelievable tenfold. And I think he has to thank Lionel Messi for this move a great deal because without him carrying the nation pretty much through that World Cup, that this move wouldn't have even occurred at all. It's purely on the basis of his reputation from that tournament going tenfold. It happened with James Rodriguez after that amazing campaign with Colombia in 2014 in Brazil. Uh, but with this situation, I didn't expect Chelsea to go back into him, to be honest. After they tried to play around with the negotiations with Rui Costa, Rui Costa again running circles around English opposition. Um, <laughs> We've actually got a Rui Costa shirt, don't oh, we? It's absolute grail of a pod. Oh, yeah. a, a total 90 grail of a shirt, by the way. But I didn't expect them to go back in and actually meet the clause. But in the end, it wasn't even the clause that was the problem. It was the instalments and how they were to structure the deal, which seemed to be the issue where Chelsea were wanting to spread it out over six years, Benfica wanted it in three years. And, eight you know, and a half years is the contract that Chelsea have given Enzo Fernandez. And, How long? You know, eight, eight and, and a half. half. So it's the equal to Mudrick's one, isn't it? So it's the second highest ever contract given to a Premier League player. Well, those and, two players have cost Chelsea close to 200 million. And I think Chelsea are rushing. I think they're expediting it a little bit because I'm sure UEFA, and I know there's been talk of UEFA potentially capping that in terms of how you can amortise um, the amount of contract you give to a player and how that balances the books. So I think Chelsea are really expediting this little loophole that they've found, which is legal in football, but I don't think it's going to carry on. But, you know, for Chelsea, now that they've just lost Jorginho, who we're going to talk about soon, I think it's I think this is probably the most important signing that they can make because their midfield is bare. When, you, when you've got Kante, who's injured, uh, Jorginho, who's gone, Who's left? Kovacic is in midfield now. He's on his own. It's yeah. like that scene where Will Smith came back in Fresh Prince and he's on his own and now. And he was linked with leaving not too long ago as well, Kovacic. Yeah. Will, so, uh, Connor Gallagher was linked with the move to Everton. We'll come on to that a little bit later. So It was vital. I think this was a vital one. He's not worth that money at all. But Benfica, they knew exactly what they were doing. An amazing deal for them. I mean, we've discussed Todd Bowley's approach and Chelsea's approach to the transfer market at length on Football Social Daily over the last six months or so. It's more than half a billion he's spent now on players and managers since he's been at the helm at Stamford Bridge. One thing I do want to get off my chest, and I don't know whether you agree with this, Marley, is when Manchester United spent 80 million on Harry Maguire and he started playing badly, the club and the player were getting absolutely hammered. The same happened to Lukaku when he was at Manchester United, when they paid £75 million for him and he was not particularly good for a period. Anthony, the Brazilian who Manchester United have bought for £80 million, is 
now starting to see a little bit of stick as well for his output and his outlay. Why is it when Chelsea spend 97 million on Lukaku and 107 million on Enzo Fernandez and they make these massive deals that fans or neutrals tend to not be as bothered and not be as because we're the biggest club in the world, baby. Well, no, I think, I think the same thing happens to Manchester City with Grealish as well. They spend mm. £100 million on Grealish and, oh, he's been terrible, he's been rubbish. But whenever Chelsea spend, and they spend a lot, and they've done so for the last 20 years on players, and it doesn't work out, it's tends to have been kind of brushed under the rug a little bit. That's how I see things. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd agree with with that. I think there is... I mean, you often see a lot of things like... The um, the curse of the Chelsea striker role and the number nine shirt, for example, you, you do see a lot about that. Um, well, like Kepa's is an example as well at the other end of the pitch. Yeah. What do they spend? 68, 70 million on yeah. him? Yeah, and he's Seems still shocking. Rubbish. And he's, he's still bad and now, Maratta, by the way. what's yeah. that, 68, 65? Yeah. Rubbish. Yeah. I think it's, the main reason I can think of is that People are just used to it from Chelsea now. Mm. It's been 20 years of them spending huge money on on players. He signed Kesman, Mutu, all back in the day. They Shevchenko, weren't particularly yeah. good. Mm. Shevchenko flopped. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's been there's been loads um, over the since well the Abramovich era and now now into the Bowley era. But you know, I think Chelsea, uh, you know, trying to. I think I when Bowley came in and started spending money, I think I compared him to like a. Um, like a stepdad trying to impress his new kid, like spending loads of money and buying him loads of toys and doing like this shiny little... I saw a great... You can have a remote control car. You can have three if you want. I it's, saw a great you know. tweet earlier, by the way. I don't know if you saw it, but... Go on. Because he keeps stretching these contracts over eight and a half, seven and a half years. Yeah. Someone said that it's like when you go to DFS and you buy a sofa on 0% finance and you don't have to pay anything for the first two years. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going around saying, look at all these sofas I've got yeah. that I've not had to pay for yet. I've got 13 sofas. Exactly, well, yeah. Good for you. You can only sit on one at a time. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, with, with Chelsea, I think I think we've just become used to it. And, and we've become used to these huge fees that none of us are really expecting. None of us are really going, oh, 105 millions. We're all saying it's a lot of money, but we're not shocked by it because Grealish went for 100 million, Harry Maguire went for 80, so 80 to 100 isn't exactly massive. Um, it's not like the jump of um, Ronaldo being the world's most expensive player and then PSG signing Neymar for, for double, like, I think it was like 130% of it, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's not quite that type of jump, so we're kind of getting used to it, and it's probably a bad thing that we're getting used to it because. It is probably ruining football, to be it fair. It can't be sustainable. It's I mean, making a lot of people a lot of money. Benfica are, are absolutely laughing. Yeah, I mean, what's that? Ruben Diaz as well in recent years to Man yeah. City, and there's loads of other players. And you, that... think, you think as well about how, how well Man City have done with... I mean, Man City signed Julian Alvarez for... Was it 16 million from River Plate? Yeah. If he'd have gone to Benfica as a... As a or PSV or uh, just any club, basically, in mm. Europe... And had six good months, his his price would be 85, 90 or 100 million. Of course. And we've seen it with, with Enzo Fernandez. I would argue Enzo Fernandez wasn't as impressive as Alexis McAllister in the, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the World Cup. They were both good. It's just by association of being in the Argentina team that is yeah. like a commodity now. But he's, isn't the, it? he's the shiny new thing. Yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. Emi Martinez is the best goalkeeper in the world. It's what a World Highly Cup Highly debatable. Yeah. Yeah. Made probably the best save of all time in terms of. You know, clutch, importance yeah, and, and stuff like yeah, that, but yeah. you know, the, the everything around the Argentina team is 
is just blown massively out of proportion. But yeah, 105 million. It's it's Chelsea doing Chelsea things, isn't it? I think Benfica yeah. are still laughing, and that'll set them up for the next ten years, and they'll probably go and Not sign someone else. <laughs> exactly. They've yeah. They've still they're, got, they're they've still got sellable well. assets as well. Like they were talking about Grimaldo going to Man City. He's probably the next one to go for a big fee. And R- R- Ramos, um, the striker. Well, Darwin was it Darwin Gonzalo Gonzalo Ramos, as well? Yeah. Who's recently gone to Liverpool? Was he a Benfica yep. player? Yeah, so, that was eighty million. You know, yeah. They've, they've uh, got a few quid, I think. Benfica now. Everyone Thanks in, the, in the boardroom has their own castle at home. They go, <laughs> <laughs> go home and just say, oh, "I've made another hundred million today." Tell you what, a castle in Portugal sounds pretty good to me right now with the weather outside here in Manchester. Talking to Chelsea, as we say, new British record as they signed Fernandez, but going the other way was supposed to be Hakim Ziyech but that loan move to PSG has collapsed so as far as we are aware this morning he's staying at Stamford Bridge but one player who has exited Chelsea is Jorginho who finished third in the Ballon d'Or running last season he's gone to Arsenal the league leaders in the Premier League for £12 million the Gunners we know were keen on signing Brighton midfielder Moises Caicedo but Brighton stood firm, and so they should have done as well, despite Caicedo trying his utmost efforts to get out of Brighton and Hove Albion. He's staying. £70 million wasn't enough to Brighton to part company with him. So Arsenal have gone for Jorginho. And I saw one Arsenal fan, Joel, suggest that because of the way Chelsea kind of outdid Arsenal in the Mudrick deal and the fact that Chelsea have dealt with Arsenal in the past in these sorts of transfer windows where they've sold them David Luiz and Willian... An Arsenal fan was sceptical. Is this a good move? £12 is pretty cheap for a player in today's market when you look at how much Chelsea have spent on Fernandes, for example. I don't really get where these Arsenal fans are coming from with their reservations. I think it's the fact that they've been aiming so high in the transfer window that they've been pretty much knocked down to earth with this almost reminiscent transfer, like you say, of a Willian or a David Luiz. I think it's an automatic reaction to think it's not the right choice. We're going back to the way we used to do it. In my opinion, I think Jorginho is a perfect fit for Arsenal. He is the most possession-based player you could hope for. When he was um, at Napoli, if anyone watched him at Napoli, he was one of the main reasons why that team was a super team. Yeah, Maurizio Sarri brought him in off the ah, back he was of inc- he was, And he brought him to Chelsea, didn't he? Absolutely. He was incredible. I know... He's not in the same form that he was back then. He's not the same player that played for Italy last year. Well, Joel, if you look at the stats, I saw someone post a graphic and you've got to be careful on Twitter because you don't know how accurate these things are. But in terms of sort of the main midfielder metrics that you're looking for, in terms of accurate passes, ball carries, possession, etc. Jorginho and Moises Caicedo, who Arsenal were trying to target, have very similar, almost scarily similar statistics. I mean, I'm not a fan. The only of, difference is the age. I'm not a fan of reading statistics with players and saying he's as good as him based on these because they both. Jorginho, no matter how shit he is, he will never ever lose those passing abilities, and he'll never lose his composure. He's just born with it, and he'll never lose it. You put Paul Scholes in a Man United team, and he'll probably have a 98% success rate in passes. It's just the way the players are. But I think for that Arsenal side, with the way they dominate the ball and the way they want to play from the back and take it through the midfield through transition. I think Jorginho is such a shrewd signing for that kind of play that they need. And I know Mikel Arteta tried to sign him in 2020, which um, was a pretty ambitious move on their part, and it just wasn't the time for him to go. But it shows that Arteta has always liked him. It's not the same as David Luiz, not the same as William, where they were almost trying to get him during the peak. They were panic buyers. They were trying to take someone who had, had been completely finished, used and abused in the Premier League and was just... It was not the right match. With Jorginho, I think he has got way more in his tank. And 
for Arsenal right now with the fact that, you know, El Nenny's injured for, I think, the rest of the season. Then you've got Thomas Partey, who is constantly injured or picks up niggles. You're going to be relying on Granit Xhaka for a title running. That's not the, what you want to be doing, is it? So I think for, I think it's a really shrewd sign. I think Arsenal have had a good January window on the whole because, as you mentioned, Joel, they're top of the Premier League and they probably weren't expecting to be in this position. And you have to capitalise on the position you're in if you're Arsenal. And I think that that's what's been made clear to the owners. I think Edu has made that clear to the Arsenal ownership as if to say, you've got to back us. Because if we win the Premier League here, you know, When's the next time that might happen where we're this far ahead? So I think Arsenal have had a good window. You mentioned players getting injured. Well, bad news for Manchester United yesterday. And that was the fact that Christian Eriksen is going to be out with an ankle injury until late March, early April. That's a big blow because Eriksen is the player that Eric Ten Hag has used more than any other. I thought Manchester United might have to bring another midfielder in, but as the day ticked on, it looked like that was going to be less and less likely. Until this news pops up that Marcel Sabitzer has arrived on loan from Bayern Munich to Manchester United. It was sort of uh, fitting that the news came out about Ericsson at about half 10, 11 o'clock that morning. Um, so I don't know whether the scans had just come back, but it was sort of perfect timing because can you imagine if that, if those scans came back today? Everyone would be like, oh, God, why didn't Man United do something? But Man United wouldn't have known the extent of his injury. So it's literally going to keep him out to the very end of the season. So a six-month loan deal mm. for, for pretty much anyone is is what Man United needed. And, you know, there's there's bargains and little um, sort of fitting transfers that can be can be had if if you look hard enough. And Sabita was immediately identified. Yeah. And two hours later, he was on a plane, you know, he's seen well, him rolling his suitcase through <laughs> Munich airport. And, well, and Eric Ten Hag used to manage Bayern Munich second team, didn't he? Um, when yeah. Pep Guardiola was manager of the first team. Yeah. I think he managed the reserves. So he will kind of have contacts at at Bayern Munich. And I think Gravenberch yeah. was a player they went for, who's one of the newer signings at Bayern Munich. Joshua Kimmich is one of the best midfield players in, in that league, if not, <laughs> you know, in European football. So... There's no chance of him arriving at Old Trafford. So in terms of the identification, you're right. They managed to do it very, very quickly. Can yep. we all agree, and I know he's fondly thought of on Tyneside, the tackle from Andy Carroll and Christian Eriksen, really poor. Oh, yeah. Really poor. Yeah, it was shocking. Uh, yeah, I think I mentioned the other day, Matt, it was almost like Agent Andy trying to interv- uh, injure players. I actually don't think that's that far-fetched. I, I'd, I'd actually be... Um, sort of interested to know his, his true intent because he 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 looked like he was trying to injure people. He tried to do it to Casemiro. He did it to Eriksen. Well, he got um, and in there too, got sent off within five minutes. The two yellows were, weren't they? Within five or six minutes of each other. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he didn't. I don't think he even got booked for the Eriksen tackle. So, yeah, it was shocking. I, like, I can't condone that at all. Um, we'll beat them. We'll beat them without them two. <laughs> You could you clone Casemiro and put him in. We'll we'll be all right. We only need one. Don't worry about it's that. It's coming home, sort of. If I, if <laughs> oh, don't say coming home because it never usually does. I probably just jinxed it, but never mind. Um, Sabitz, uh, you're a Manchester United fan. What do you think of him? Do you think that's a good fit? Joel oh. thinks he's great. He's watched a 20 minute compilation of him scoring absolute bangers on the. Uh, there they look. There the, they look great when you watched him. That's because <laughs> he used the NordVPN deal. Yeah, yeah. FSD. Yeah, I'm actually pleasant, pleasantly surprised at this one because. 
from what I know as well, United already found out about Ericsson's injury way before Ten Hag actually said it. So I think the plans were in motion to actually get a midfielder in way sooner than what it seemed to be within a couple of hours. And I think with Sabitzer, at his Leipzig days, he was a very, very impressive player. Even when we played against him in the Champions League, he was always a standout player, super technical, very adaptable to all these different positions. Amazing free kick specialist. And the fact that everyone keeps saying, oh, he doesn't get in the Bayern Munich side, so he must be not as good as and well thought of. It's actually false because... When you're trying to get into a side that's got Joshua Kimmich and Goretzka, who never get injured, and then you've got Graven Birch, who's just ahead of him, and they've just signed Conrad Lehmer, who's going to be joining in the summer, your prospects are looking pretty bleak, aren't they? And there's not really a real chance of getting into it. And I just think for Ten Hag, he is the perfect player for him in terms of the way in which he's almost, a, I wouldn't say similar profile to Ericsson, but he's a way more bigger engine. And I think it's really important for our team just because around the 60th minute mark, Ericsson always fades. Whereas with with um, Sabitza, he seems to go on with the game and he has an unreal engine. So I think of all the options we could have got, you know, there were talks of Isco, there were talks of Uar from uh, from Leon. I think he was the most shrewd and I would say sensible option to take. I don't think he's a, uh, an exact replacement for Ericsson I think I think he's, no, he's not similar in profile he's, he's too but attacking he's... like he's much more attacking than Ericsson like he's more of a number 10 than than Ericsson although Ericsson probably had the same issue but also had the uh the intellect to be able to control yeah, yeah. the game from a bit from a deeper position especially as he doesn't have many like much legs he's not a sprinter is he but I'd be interested to see how Sabita does because I think he's uh sitting alongside Casemiro is going to be a very different Mm. role for him than floating around behind the strikers and, and smashing 30 yarders in. Well it just makes you wonder what sort of a role Fred and McTominay will now have to play between now and pretty Bench much role. the end of the season because <laughs> um, Fred can play in that advanced position but he can also play deeper, we've seen him sit in that defensive double pivot so who knows but my- Manchester United have brought in Marcel Sabitzer from Bayern Munich on loan but that is not the end of the transfer dealings that we're going to discuss on today's episode of the podcast we've got Everton to discuss Liverpool to discuss and Tottenham Hotspur as well we'll do that next on Football Social Daily Hello it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing Chumba Casino coincidence I think not everybody's loving having fun with it Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary VGW void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus welcome back final part of today's FSD tomorrow on the podcast we'll be talking to Matt Jarvis a former England international hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast including any of the chats we'll be having with former Premier League personalities some really good interviews coming up including the one with Jarvo tomorrow Wes Brown Trevor Stephen will be joining us soon as well some really cool personalities that we'll get to speak to and you'll get to hear it all and you won't miss it 
as long as you hit subscribe. But there is more transfer news to get stuck into as we are not done yet when it comes to transfer deadline day in the Premier League. The window might be closed. We still need to discuss the move of Pedro Porro to Tottenham Hotspur. And there are a couple of outgoings on the day as well at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Matt Doherty left to go to Atletico Madrid after having his contract cancelled by mutual consent. He's pitched up now in the Spanish capital. And Jed Spence, who basically has barely played under Antonio Conte, he's moved to Ligue side Rennes on a loan deal. So busy, busy times at Spurs yesterday. Pedro Porro, though, that was the player they needed and they finally got him over the line. Yeah, another one that I didn't think was going to end up happening because you know what? the Portuguese clubs are like with their release clauses is either the release clause or nothing and they're happy to go along with it. Um, it's crazy looking at Poro's actual story in football because he got picked up by Manchester City in 2019 and he never even played a game for them. And then he ended up going to uh, Real Valladolid and then he went to Sporting and then under Amarim. I, I think it'd be difficult to find a player who's not played under Amarim who's actually improved because he's actually mm. raised the game of so many players in that squad. But with Poro, I think he well. When you look at the fact that they've ha- uh, Spurs have had to rely on Emerson Royal, and um, well, that's been the big issue for Spurs. Fans. It's the right side, and we know Antonio Conte's wing backs are probably as important as maybe the strikers. So the fact that he's gone for this type of profile, I think it's a massive, massive signing for Spurs. This because he cannot operate with fullbacks who are not the right profile for what he needs. And Poro is such an attacking fullback, very good technically, very good on the ball. And I think, I know it's a high price, but I mean, like Marley said, our perspective of fees is so skewed now that 40 million feels like mm. the old 4 million back in, you know, 2013. And I think... It's just an average sum. Yeah, we know what typical. Daniel Levy is We're like with his transfer dealings as well. The one that we talk about every January or summer is the Modric deal from Dinamo Zagreb, where <laughs> Dinamo Zagreb asked for a couple of signed shirts from Tottenham Hotspur and Daniel Levy took 80 quid off of the transfer fee to pay (laughs) for the shirts. Is that actually true? (laughs) I don't know how true that is, but I've seen that story reported a few times. It's one of them where it's it makes so much sense. You have to give it genuine consideration. Like you, nobody, nobody wouldn't (laughs) believe that. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's. um, I think I seen something this morning of uh, just the the right backs or right wing backs that Spurs have signed in the last like three years, four years. Like Emerson was twenty odd million. Doherty was, uh, I think he was 12 or 13. Spence was a similar fee. Um, there's been basically a, a never-ending line of them trying to replace Kyle Walker from back in... back in Even Trippier. 20, oh, Trippier, yeah, sorry, yeah, uh, 2019. So they've tried a, tried a few things and then Conte, obviously Joel mentioned his you know, wing-backs being important. I think it's the most specialist role in, yep. in, any, in all of football, I think, wing-back. Because it's such a, a balance. It's you've got to, you've, got to, have, you've well. got to have so much stamina, so much yeah. end product, defensive. Mm. You've got to be, you know, you've got a complete all rounder. Yeah, complete all rounder. You've got to pass. You've got to link up with the defense, midfield, and forwards. There's not many other positions that require the skill set that you have to have to be a good wing back. Um, and obviously, that takes money if you're gonna if you're gonna rely on Emerson Royal, sort of not like learning the role, sort of thing. And that's it's not really a surprise when it doesn't work, having seen him play right back and only right back for his whole career. You know, all he does is overlap. Overlap the winger and when he when he's got the ball with time, it's fine. But when you're a wing back, players say, Right, they've got wing backs, who's who's on him? Like he's their attacking threat. 
so they're going to have a plan for him. So it's not really a surprise to see him fall by the, the wayside. Have they left themselves light, those Spurs? Because let's say Poro comes in, plays two games and, you know, never want to wish injury on any player, but let's just say for argument's sake that he gets injured in the first couple of matches. Doherty's gone permanently and Jed Spence is on loan. Mm. So, I mean, in terms of wing-backs, yes, they've brought in someone better than Emerson Royale and Pedro Porro, at least on paper. But what happens if they pick up Knox? You're then left with Emerson and Sessegnon again, which is basically what they've been playing anyway. Porro's got a good injury record, though. So I don't I'm, think he's going to I'm not saying that he's going to break down. I know, but I know it, it can happen. It can happen. Be, to yeah, be fair, I'd, I've seen it, someone there. Uh, we had uh, Johnny Blaine on the podcast a while ago, the Spurs, um, Spurs guy. Stat- yeah, statistician. Sta- yeah, mm. and he said... Uh, <laughs> Said Porro was once out for 17 days with a knock. Welcome to Spurs, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he might have he might have injuries, but that's that's the risk you take if you're going to get rid of mm. the, these players. It was clear as day. Conte did not want Spence. It was well. He even it, said when he t- signed, he's a Spurs he's, signing. Yeah. I didn't want him, but a, it was a club signing. A so club you never signing. fancied him. Madness. Yeah. He should. I don't. I I do. I mean. Owen, who obviously works here, always has a go at me for having an agenda against Spence. It's not. It's the fact. It's not against him. It's just criticism for choosing Spurs because it was. A, I don't believe you can sign for a club without talking to the manager. And if the manager is happy to say something publicly, like he's a club signing, if he says that to you, you've got to have it in your head. He doesn't fancy me. Yes. Why? Why? You know? Why am I signing here? Go Especially and play have a football great season Forest. Forest. Yeah. If he carried on at Forest this season, he could be in the England reckoning now. Easily, mm. Mm. very easily. Well, we'll talk about Forest in a minute because they've been active as we expected they would be. In France. Um, <laughs> Tottenham Hotspur have signed Pedro Porro. Doherty has gone to Atletico Madrid in one of the more bizarre moves of transfer deadline day. And there were a few yesterday as well. <laughs> uh, Jed Spence has gone to Stord Rennes in French Ligue. Uh, before we move on from Tottenham, though, not that it will ever listen to this, but best wishes to Spurs manager Antonio Conte, who's having surgery today to remove his gallbladder after contracting cholecystitis, so wishing Conte all the best. Let's move on now to two clubs that didn't make any signings, both of them on Merseyside. No new faces around Stanley Park for either club. Let's start with Everton, though, who perhaps made the biggest signing of their window off the pitch when Sean Dyche came in to replace Frank Lampard, who was, of course, sacked after a poor run of form. This is what it looks like for Everton They sell Anthony Gordon for £40 million to Newcastle and yet every side from 13th and below in the Premier League had made at least three January transfer signings. Everton, who are above the bottom of the table by goal difference, no players at all. And sold one of the best. And sold one of their best. Sean Dyche, he's been given a difficult hand here. Yeah, they're in the trenches right now and you can see with the amount of players that they were actually trying to sign... No one was wanting to touch them with a barge pole. Mm. I mean, they went for, I think they must have been in a dartboard room and he was just throwing names out of the hat and just going, right, let's try him, let's try him. Tried Olivier Giroud, he didn't want to touch it. They tried Gallagher, he rejected it. Then they even tried to get a Langer on loan. Why would United want to put a young player in that position, which feels very, very difficult? It's pointless. Why, why would a club and why would a player want to go there right now? The, the atmosphere just feels... Like, I'm sure a lot of professional players would have saw, you know, the cars getting stopped on the roads and thinking, do I want to join that mess? Yeah. Do I want to be feeling like I'm fearing for my safety? Do you really no. think it is that? Or do you think it's just incompetence from Everton at board level, which, you know, we heard yesterday from Joe from Turfcast, which is a Burnley podcast about what Sean Dyche might 
be up to at Goodison Park and what Evertonians can expect from Sean Dyche. Of course, Joe will have watched Sean Dyche's Burnley teams for 10 odd years and knows exactly what Sean Dyche does in terms of his methods and what he'll bring as a manager. But it sounds like, with the way they appointed Sean Dyche, that Everton's board and hierarchy didn't really know what they were doing. And I guess the same thing applies to transfers. We heard them linked with Chelsea's Conor Gallagher. That never occurred. Of course, they've got 40 million quid in the kitty from the Anthony Gordon to Newcastle sale. But you just wonder whether Sean Dyche, Marley, was expecting Everton to make some signings before he went in there. You would have thought so. You would have thought that would be one of the things discussed in the interview. Like if I join on uh, January the 27th, 28th, are we going to get players in from for that thing? And they'd have gone, they'd have said to him, you know, we're going to get 40 million up front, by the way, um, for Anthony Gordon, because that fee was in one lump sum. Mm. So they have 40 million in the pocket. um, So so they can be more um, flexible when it comes to either paying up front for a target or structuring it over three, four, five years, whatever it may be. So it was not really a surprise to 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 see them make a, a pig's ear of this because it's all they've done. And you think if Dyche comes in, you know, he has to get players in. But I'm, I'm thinking now, like, if because Dyche just came in now and he hasn't managed a game, it's harder to attract players because even though they might think Everton, I'm thinking of Conor Gallagher basically, for example. Like Conor Gallagher probably knows he's not going to get that many games at Chelsea. He knows he could play at Everton, but does he want to play for Everton with no guarantees of what Sean Dyche is going to do? He might, he might think himself he'll get Everton out of this, but if they don't, and I go and play there for six months, score two goals, make five assists, it doesn't really matter how many. What I do, if I can't get them out of this, I look bad because I've got now a relegation on my CV and I'm 23 yeah. and I want to move and I want to be in the England squad and I want to be a first-team regular. So he's he was never going to accept that move. It was it was silly to, to even be linked with him because you need, you need players in that are going to be up for it. And then they were linked with a 20-year-old winger that went to Southampton, which I criticised on the other podcast, like... How can you pin your hopes on 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 him? I mean, for and me, then he chooses Southampton, which again yeah. he's probably he might have then well very well seen who are below you know, Everton he, in the table, by the way. Exactly, the only team that are. So that brings it back to: Has he seen players getting abuse in the streets and gone? Mm. No, that's not for me, because that he's a twenty-year-old kid. He's not an experienced pro. Yeah, he's it, that might that very very may well have played into his. This is he's thinking. Well, the damning statistic for me is the one I read out earlier. Every team from 13th and below, that's Nottingham Forest, all the way through to Southampton at the foot of the table, signed at least three players this transfer window. Everton have signed absolutely zip. Nothing. And I saw one Evertonian suggest that this was the most important transfer window in Everton Football Club history, and they've not signed anyone. Madness. No. Equally maddening and frustrating... The other side of Stanley Park, Liverpool Football Club supporters also not celebrating any new additions on deadline day or indeed in recent times. They were desperate for a midfielder, Joel. Tumbleweed. No one's come in. Well, there's no excuses because like I've just we've just talked about United have managed to get a pretty decent quality player in Sabitza from Bayern Munich and he's no slouch. Mm. Liverpool could have easily made a transfer like that. Easily. No excuses. There's no excuses. The, the loan signings everywhere. They could have got Uar from 
Leon, they could have got nice because I don't rate him anymore. But, you know, players who can just come and do a role rather than relying on that young midfielder, Batikek, uh, or however you pronounce it. Like a young. <laughs> sounded really scouse there. You're quite good at languages, Joel, normally. I, was, I, didn't, I, I didn't know Jim was in the studio with us. Eh? Jetic. Uh, it is hard to say. By Chitic. I mean, you can't pin all your hopes on a young kid. I think the fact that they've only gone for Gakpo in this window is almost not looking at what is really a priority. And when you look at the fact that Thiago cannot seem to stay fit, Fabinho has dropped off absolute incredible levels from last season. You need to start looking in that midfield. And I can understand why Klopp's probably annoyed, but we know why. It's because the owners are not looking to buy much more any now. They're, well, they, they've, they've got, got the, the four halfway the through the door. Hmm, the they're, club's up yeah. for sale, so I guess their perspective is what's the point of us strengthening the squad when we don't want to be here anymore? Exactly. Well, I mean, they did buy Gakpo, but I feel like that was way organised kind of just after the World Cup. This In this they instance... they didn't need Gakpo without no, disrespect to Liverpool. It wasn't, it wasn't a priority at all. That's why I'm really fielder. surprised. They're, they're, de- they're crying out and it feels like they've got all their eggs in this Jude Bellingham basket, which is a basket, I think, really far from their reach. I think if you look at their situation, they're, you know, ninth or eighth in the table. They're abs- I think their golden era is done in terms of what they're trying to achieve and how far, for example, I think Arsenal basically taking their place now. Is Bellingham going to want to come into that and think I can be the catalyst in that side? Or is he just going to go to someone like Real Madrid who's pretty much going to guarantee him success? I think he's got the attitude to make it there. I, I really think, and I... I'd be surprised if the Liverpool are that naive to think that they can just wait for a player who is so in demand. I'd be massively surprised. All right. So I think that that's us done, lads, for the January transfer roundup. We got there eventually. Loads to get through and loads more to come on Football Social Daily as well over the next few weeks, including interviews with former Premier League players, Trevor Stephen, Wes Brown, and tomorrow, Matt Jarvis, who knows a thing or two about January transfers and being a club record signing. He was just that at West Ham United when he signed there, and we'll be hearing from Jarvo on tomorrow's podcast, so make sure you don't miss it. But from myself, Joel and Marley, that is it for today. We'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.